is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but, you, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. Time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me, all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Good morning. I want to thank the elders for letting me uh, come up here again on this fifth Sunday and preach to you guys this morning. It's an awesome opportunity for me. I always learn a lot whenever I do this, so I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, I want to start off with a, uh, a quote um, that I, I think is, is very interesting and will kind of help focus us this morning on uh, what I'm going to preach about. If I can get it. There we go. Absence isn't the same thing as non-existence. Something that does not exist cannot be absent, since it was never present to begin with. And here's a key to the relationship between absence and presence. The more profound the presence, the more painful the absence. The deeper, or the heavier foot leaves a deeper track. The weight of God's presence leaves footprints on the soft soil of hearts that belong to him. And that's from a book by David Bowden called When God Isn't There, which I highly recommend. And it, it talks a lot about truths and lies when it concerns the presence of God. And I wanted to start off with that quote because I think coming into this topic, I wanted to offer a little snippet of hope before I even get into the lesson. And that is, if you have ever felt like God was far away from you, good. Because you've noticed that something in your life is wrong. When you touch something hot and you don't realize it hurts, you won't know to draw your hand back. So if you feel like God is absent at various points in your life, there's a little indicator to let you know that you need to to change things up. Yeah, every year around uh, Labor Day, Labor Day weekend, myself and a bunch of my guy cousins, a bunch of rowdy cousins would pile into this car with my uncle and we'd drive up to visit my great aunt in Illinois. And I guess drive sideways. I don't know how that works geographically. We would go and visit her on Labor Day weekend and uh, we'd have this crazy long car ride. Everyone would be all pent up in this tiny little car, really crammed. I'd usually sit way in the back with all the luggage because I'm the smallest. Um, and once we'd get there, we'd all pile out of the car 
And all the other cousins and aunts and uncles that drove in separate cars, they'd go put their stuff inside the house, which is logical. The guys, however, would take their stuff to my great aunt's old El Dorado RV, which sits several hundred yards from the house. That's where we're staying. We're not having the comfy beds in the house with the food. And no, we are out far away from the house in this cramped little RV where there's a new leak in the roof every year. And it was so much fun. Is right where we'd have the fires every night so we could stay up later. We could be louder because we weren't going to wake anyone up. We're far away from the house. So, uh, sometimes we'd watch movies. We'd tell stories. We'd have deep conversations. We'd just laugh and hang out. And it was a blast. And it was like that for like six or seven years. Flash forward to this year. I step out of the car. And as I'm walking out to the RV, it suddenly hit me that I was the only person that was going to be there this Labor Day. And I sat down in the RV. It has lights and it has AC. The RV itself is exactly the same. There's 40 new leaks in the roof. The beds are still mildly uncomfortable. And I sat down. And it's not because they didn't want to come. They just couldn't make it. But I sat down in this RV at like 1130 at night. It takes us forever to get there. And I sat down, and there was just this crushing, overwhelming weight that I was going to be all by myself. And that was sort of, you know, around the time when I'm trying to develop what I'm going to preach about. And so that's what sort of set me onto this track. Um, And that's why I think it's important for me to talk about this topic, because in each and every one of our lives— At some point in time, we are going to feel alone. And I think it's important for us to not avoid that topic, but confront it and then, you know, put some scripture in there. So I hope you'll bear with me. As usual, there's a lot of scripture because the fewer of my words you hear, the better. All right. First thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about David. So quick backstory. This is going to be Psalms 22. So if you want to turn there, you turn there now. So the Psalms, if you're familiar with them, they're poems and songs that the Israelite people had collected, and they sang those from David's time all the way up to Jesus' time. That was Israel's songbook. And the Psalms get quoted a lot in the New Testament. And you think, you know, as modern readers, we see when they quote the Psalms and it seems like some random little archaic snippet. No, that's like a lyric to a song that the Israelites would have known since they were probably children. Um, and I, I want to I I read Psalm 22. So buckle up. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me so far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer, by night, but I find no rest. Yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm. And not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him. 
since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you've been my God. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Uh, as last time um, I came up here and preached, uh, these slides right here, you know, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be an archaeologist. So I'm going to go ahead and go with that metaphor here. These slides with this text, these are the precious things that I found while I was digging. Because I originally started searching up scriptures about loneliness and feeling alone in the RV. And so it sort of spun on from there. Um, so these are the things that I found, and I hope that you'll be edified by them. But the, the, the thing that I found when it comes to the Psalms, not just Psalms 22, but when you feel like God is far away, talk to him about it. He is literally the best listener there has ever been or ever will be. There's nothing inherently wrong with talking to God about how you feel. And I think the Psalms are an excellent example of that. I don't think it's sinful to feel like God is far away. It's only logical that things feel worse the farther our lives drift from the greatest and most beautiful thing there's ever been. When David felt like God was far away, he expressed those feelings. Jonah 2. Backstory. God tells a prophet named Jonah to go to uh, the depraved Assyrian city of Nineveh and tell them to repent and turn to God. Jonah doesn't want to go, so he hops on a ship heading in a different direction. God sends a storm, 
And Jonah realizes what's going on, so he tells the sailors, hey, toss me into the sea, the storm will stop. God's not after you guys, he's after me. Uh, They originally try rowing first as a last-ditch effort, and they're finally like, okay, off you go. Not too much convincing after that. God provides a huge fish uh, to swallow Jonah, and he sits in there for three days. And that's where we find him with Jonah too. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Whereas David felt like God abandoned him, Jonah tried to push himself away from God. And it's not just a, a physical thing. It wasn't just, maybe if I run away, God can't catch me. Although, who knows, that could have been part of it. But he's trying to get away from God's will, which is much more than something physical. And I think it's important for us to look at both David and Jonah and realize that we can be like either one of them. When we sin, we, when we miss the mark, we're saying to God, I have a better way of doing X, Y, or Z. Disobedience to God ends up pushing our hearts farther from him and his will. But even when we reject God and try to do things our own way, God's love and grace is still relentlessly pursuing us. It could have been easy for God to write off Jonah as a lost cause. And granted, he still's got some serious attitude problems that he's got to deal with later on in the book. But God didn't just leave him to die. Number one, he didn't let him just drown in the ocean, which is probably what Jonah thought should have happened, what would have happened. But God didn't also leave him in the fish to think about what he'd done and then leave him to die there either. It's like, no, I'm still sending you to those people. And if you know the story, they do end up repenting. Regardless of Jonah's attitude, God was still able to use him. A person who was trying to go the opposite direction of where God wanted him to go. Ruth 2. Now, backstory of this, Naomi, who is Ruth's mother-in-law, yes, her husband, Elimelech, I studied that name to make sure I got it right, Elimelech passes away, and her two sons also pass away, 
And so at the beginning of the story, she's talking to her daughters-in-law and she's telling them, I want you guys to go back to your own homes, your own families, go get remarried, leave me. I, I have nothing to offer you now. Because again, historically, it was the husband's job to provide for the family. And if the husband can't do that, if he passes away, it goes to the sons. The sons are now going to take the head of the family, provide for the mom, but now both of the sons are gone and she is left destitute. And despite Naomi trying to convince both of the daughters-in-law to leave, one of them does, but Ruth sticks by Naomi's side. And they travel together and they end up around Bethlehem and that's where we pick up in Ruth 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth and the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So the people who are harvesting the field, real sidebar here, those are the employees. Um, they had different terminology. Servants were employed. And so she's not employed. She's wandered onto someone's field and is picking up stuff behind the employees. Just when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of, the, of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you and whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to the men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field till evening. There we go. Uh, then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she'd gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. So her leftovers from lunch. She's like, little, little box there. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. 
Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Not only did Naomi feel like the goodness of God was far from her, she was almost completely inverse, where she felt that somehow God was opposed to her. She'd lost so many people. However, God didn't just have Ruth accompany her, but he made it so that Naomi and Ruth would be provided for through Boaz. And on top of this, if you know your biblical genealogies, you know that Ruth ends up marrying Boaz and their descendants get us to David and then eventually to Christ. God gives us people in our lives to drive our feelings of loneliness away. He provides a way for us to be connected to each other and to help each other when we hit rock bottom. Matthew 27, 45 through 50. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud, vo- loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Jesus felt like God was far away from him. And I think that's why he quoted the opening to Psalm 22. The Psalms were written by someone who was writing what they were feeling, not necessarily what they believed what was going on. It was a catharsis. And Jesus is quoting lyrics to things that people in that crowd would know, and the entire psalm would have come to mind. The opening lyrics to a song they would have known since they were kids. And I don't know, maybe it was just me, but when I was growing up, I always felt that when it was talked about or read, it was being implied that God leaves the room before Jesus breathes his last. But I don't think that's what happened. I think that God watched Jesus die. As a better Abraham, instead of someone calling off the execution of the son, God sits there and makes sure that it happens through to completion. I don't think that Jesus was forsaken as if God just peaced out and left Golgotha. I think Jesus was expressing what he was feeling in that moment when the weight of sin and evil is being dumped on him the farther away he feels from his father. I'm going to wrap it up here. 
Jesus is the fulfillment of David's poems and songs that yearn for God's presence. This mythic king that is being described in these psalms and these poems, there's an expectation of looking forward that these songs are describing. And finally, Jesus comes up on the scene and now people know what the lyrics are all about. Jesus is better than Jonah because he allowed himself to be placed into a tomb for three days so that even people like Jonah who tried to run from God could be saved. Jesus is a better kinsman redeemer than Boaz because he not only restores our hope of eternal life, but he laid down his life to provide us with a heavenly inheritance in his family forever. And what we learn from Jesus on the cross is that we don't serve a God who can't sympathize with us. So I'm now at a place in my life when my friends who are like a couple years younger are now starting to go off to college. And so my summers have become increasingly more boring because everyone's busy. And, you know, there are times when I feel alone. And a couple weeks back, I was looking through some old photos of my buddies and I in, in Boy Scouts and then different pictures of me and my buddies from our homeschool co-op and I realized all those guys are busy, they're off at school, I can't hang out with them anymore, I don't see them anymore and I was feeling really, really low. And so I decided to take a walk to clear my head and to finish nailing down what I was gonna preach on this morning. And then it hit me that there was, in fact, a person in each and every one of those photos that I couldn't see but had been there through everything the good times and the bad a friend who's been by my side my entire life who will never leave me and who knows me better than I know myself and has a longing and a desire to be close with each and every one of us. If you desire to be baptized this morning or you need prayers for something, please take this time to let someone know or let someone know afterwards. And I encourage you not to allow yourself to leave this morning feeling that God is somehow far away as though that's something that he wants. That's why the church is so beautiful. Is it's here to point the world to a God who wants to be near to us and to strengthen the body of believers through fellowship with one another. And I pray that you'd think about that as together we stand and sing. Jesus.